Galatians chapter 6. But if you came to hear from God, he's got a word for you today. Got a word we want to talk about today about just plain old fortitude. Or put it into the colloquialism, hanging in there. Just hanging in there. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6 through 10, if you'll read with me. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith or those who are in this thing with us, or those who are walking the Christian walk, or those of the fellowship. Hallelujah. What we're talking about here is, is an, an attempt to communicate. I was watching TV not too awful long ago, and they were, they were showing a trailer on a movie that they were going to be coming on one of the channels, and and it showed this boss over the chain gang, and he stood there, and maybe you had seen this movie or on TV, and he said, what we have here is a failure to communicate. And I thought, yeah, that's why we've got the church, too. Sometimes we've got a failure to communicate. We've got a failure sometimes for, for God to communicate with us. And here in this little passage of Scripture, what we have is an attempt to communicate. It's a word given when an open door is presented. You know, I'm not sure that the best way to reach the world, in fact, as I'm convinced of it, is not for a group of people to come together and go out and knock on doors and give out tracts and, and, and go into malls with their, with their I love Jesus jackets on with all kind of dripping buttons all over them. Now, I think there's a place for those kind of things, but I think the best thing we do is when our Christian testimony comes in contact when God opens the door in our life. You see, you're going to run into more open doors than you ever will be able to grapple, have time to go out in a formal outreach situation. You are a walking epistle of the Holy Spirit. Is that what the Bible says? Maybe we have here a failure to communicate. I say, Is that what the Bible says, that we are walking epistles? Maybe we have a failure to communicate. Is that what the Bible says, that we are walking epistles? The word is amen. Amen, church. Help me a little bit. Help me some in this thing. It's the word given. This is what we've read when the Holy Spirit opens the door to us. It's a word to the one who will try to understand. Everybody you come in contact with is not going to want to understand what you say. They're not going to want to understand you. And it doesn't say in this passage, that, that we even have to do these things. 
You don't have to do this. It's just a road sign to me and you. Fact is, this whole book, the, the, the premises of it and the promises of it, you don't have to do those things if you don't want to. They're road signs to lead us to the blessings of God. And we don't have to do these things. Fact is, a person in this life really doesn't have to do anything they don't want to do. And that's great latitude. A lot of latitude. I, I'm free under the word of God to do anything I want to do. And God will honor that. But, however, there's always a but to that thing and there's an if to that thing. Because the writer of Proverbs, in his words of wisdom and his words of, of exhortation to us. And that's what you'll read when you read into the book of Proverbs. You're going to get wisdom, pragmatic Christianity, how to live by day to day. How to treat your fellow man. How, how, to, how to get your mind renewed. And so the writer of all that wisdom in Proverbs says this. He said, a fool hath no delight in understanding. That's tough words. Tough words. A fool doesn't delight in understanding anything. A person who's running toward God, they, they want to pick up the words of God. They want to be in a place where God is moving. They want to be in a place where they can hear and see practical Christianity flowing and in operation. That's where I want to be anyway. I don't want to be in a dead place. I want to always have God giving me fresh new things when I pick up the Bible. I want him to speak to me new things out of it. New revelations and keeping the old. A fool hath no delight in understanding. That means he goes on doing the same things the same old way. That's sad. That's sad. A person who never learns is a sad individual. And they've got problems coming in their life. But verse 9 of this scripture we just read, there's a promise in there. It said about hanging in there, which we're talking about this morning. It says in verse 9, in due season, we may, maybe it just might work out for us that we'll reap. Is that what it says? It says that we shall. It says you shall reap if we faint not. You see, effort produces. Effort produces. A farmer knows that. I've never known a farmer yet who planted, planted ground and said, well, I just hope all this stuff just dies out. I don't expect anything in the world. I'm going to put all this effort into this field, and I don't expect anything in the world to grow here. I've never, I've never known one farmer. Have you ever known a farmer to say that? No, we're, we're, they're, they're, they're that intelligent and the natural. Because, you see, there's an agricultural law that Jesus was speaking here to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can understand that effort desires and will produce a product. It'll produce a product. There's an agricultural, there's a, phys a law of physics, and there's a law of agriculture working in that thing. But can I tell you, there's also a spiritual law involved in this. Spiritual law involved in it. We'll reap if we don't faint. A lot, a lot of people in small churches, they, they get confused because they look at the empty pews and, the, and they look at the fact they don't have just so much money. And God says, hang in there. Hang in there. We look sometime at our Christian lives when, when things look like they're falling apart and you think this... In the natural, if you're not careful, you'll start thinking, it's not going to work anymore. And God says, hang in there. 
We'll look at some of our wayward kids who are going in, into the strange places and we prayed for them and prayed for them. And all of a sudden you feel like, well, I just want to give up on them. Can I tell you, hang in there. We, we, we'll reap if we don't faint. Spiritual laws. I'll take spiritual laws over natural laws every time. How about you? You see, I can take the spiritual and I can change the natural. I can take a spiritual law of God and I can change an agricultural law. I've heard stories. I've heard stories when drought comes. Am I preaching what you all want to hear this morning? I've heard stories about farmers who had a little plot of ground that they were that they were digging in and they were producing in. And these were spiritual people and they were believing God and they knew they knew what the Bible says and they were acting upon that and they knew that they had covenant promises with God. And when drought hit their area, they went out in the middle of their field and they stood there and they quoted to God what his word said about their land and what his word said about their efforts and what his word said about that this will produce if you don't faint. And they rebuked the fact that, that drought was coming through. Everything around them died. Theirs grew and prospered and they reaped off the thing. I've heard of, of, of legions of, of insects just sweeping through, a, through an area. Locusts just coming through in hordes. And they were this little uh, farmer was right in the path of those things. And as they came through, he did exactly the same thing. He stood and he proclaimed that he had covenant rights with God that protected him no matter what the natural things looked like. And they came to his property and, and, the, and the insects parted. And just like as there was a barrier there, which we know that there was. I believe in times like that, God looks over to his heavenly host and he says, I want you 10,422 angels to go out there and circumvent that man's or, or circum, uh, uh, surround that man's property and keep every piece of damaging insect and, and harm away from it. You say that doesn't work in my life. I've never seen it work. Let, let me tell you a story how it worked for me. I hadn't even thought about that for a while, but right now, we used to live in a place where there was a lot of trees, and there was a lot of snakes moving back and forth in the area. And I didn't mind, I, I didn't take authority over the, over the good snakes. I don't mind if they crawl through because I think they serve a purpose, you know. Good snakes serve, a, although I don't care a thing in the world about snakes. Now, don't get me wrong. But I can put up with the non-poisonous one because, you know, they, they serve a function. But I'm not about to put up with any, any poisonous one on my property, okay? And I, and I stood in my property, and I took authority over every poisonous snake that would try to come across my property. And I was sitting out there one day, and, or in fact, as I was called to the front of the house, and there was a little bitty rattlesnake about 18 inches long crawling. You know, they're, they're dangerous too, okay? And he's crawling down the road, and he's coming right from my property. And I thought, now, I can see this rascal, so I'm not going to worry about him too much. I don't worry about snakes so much that I can see them. But I said, I, I, I stood told myself, I'm going to stay here and watch this situation. 
and just see what God's Word does because I have stood here and proclaimed this, that, that no harmful thing, especially these, and I addressed it particularly, has a right to cross my property. I'm going to see what the Word does. That snake came right up to my boundary line and crawled all the way down my boundary line. He, he was, he was a, a, maybe a quarter of an inch from it, but he never put the first piece of himself on my property, crawled all the way down the boundary line. I'm telling you, the word works when we have covenant promises. If we'll reap if we faint not, if we hang in there. There's a story about a young man who lived in Massachusetts, just beginning life. And he saw an ad in a Boston paper. And they were advertising for a person to work in the brokerage house there. And it was a big firm. And he knew that it would offer good potential and good pay. And he wanted that. And it gave a, a, a post office box. It says, if you want to send a resume, the post office box, 1720. And it gave the post office there in, in, in Boston. And he, he fashioned himself a letter and he shot it off. And he didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. You know, the story's always good when, when you just pass it out and it comes quickly back and you get it. And some of our charismatic brothers and sisters will say, yeah, praise the Lord. But sometimes you have to hang in there. He didn't hear anything. So he rewrote another letter. He reworded that thing and he perfected it. And he sent it off again and nothing. So he took a train to Boston and went to this particular uh post office and said, I want you to tell me who owns box 1720. The guy says, I can't give you that. It's privileged information. So he hung in there. He didn't quit. He, he searched until he found box 1720 and he waited for hours until a person came to pick up the mail and he followed that person back to the brokerage house. And then he went in and he found the manager and he told him the story. And the guy looked at him he, uh, about all that he had done. And the guy looked at him and he says, after you telling me that, you're just the kind of guy we're looking for. And they hired the man and they put him to work and he turned out to be Roger, uh, Babson, who was one of America's most noted statisticians, got American notoriety nationwide because he, he hung in there, tenacity. Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like just, just hanging the whole thing up when you couldn't think, when you thought you just couldn't take it anymore? This job's too demanding on me. That boss places too much upon me. I went through a training in, the, in a secular job one time. And during that period of that training thing, the guy looked me in the eye and he says, this is a fast-paced job and you'll have to make quick decisions and lives will depend upon that. And you don't have time to guess wrong and you'll come to the time when you'll be covered up and you'll think, I can't take one more, one more decision. I can't make one more. And the guy told me, at times like that, five more things will come that you'll have to deal with immediately. And how true his words were. I saw that enacted many, many times. Demanding jobs, thinking when you can't hang in there. Those family problems, those children and the, and the finances and, and the warring in the home and, and not everybody working together. Aggravation in the home place. I can't take it anymore. And instead of hanging in there, a lot of our fathers and mothers today walk away. Just walk away. 
when the edge of their miracle is just starting to show up. There's a little song we, we used to sing. It says, don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up. God is still on his throne. Don't give up. You're on the brink of a miracle. Don't give up. Remember, you're not your own. Amen. You ever heard that little song? You feel like you just can't take it anymore. You feel career confusions. I don't know which way to go. I don't know, I don't know what to do about this. I, I feel just like giving up and, and just going someplace and getting me a menial job. I feel like I'm running out of time. You ever had that? If, if you're alive, you've had that one today. Time running out. Too many things to do. Sometimes your mind just wants to shut down and just lay down on the couch and watch the world go on by, hanging in there. And when we come to these kind of times in our life, we start understanding that, that or start feeling that we have to give up some things. We have to give up some things. But the, sadly enough, the things that normally start to go at times like this are prayer, because we feel like we don't have time to pray anymore. Attendance with the body of Christ. I don't have time to come to church. I was too busy doing so and so. I had Sundays. How many times has a pastor heard this one? Sundays are, are the only days I have to catch up on my housework. And you feel like saying, my sweet brother and sister, if you don't, if you don't tithe and, and give offerings to God of your time, you will never see an increase in time. There will always be something else. And we start to give up giving into the body of Christ when finances and, and times of austerity come upon our jobs and upon our lives. One of the things that most Christians start cutting back is, is in their tithes and the offering. I can't afford to tithe. I've heard it said a thousand times, and I've said it many times, and I'll probably say it many times in the future. You can't afford not to give tithes and offerings. You can't afford not to have the windows of heaven open and pouring out upon you. You see, we've got to remember that when tribulations come, God hasn't left us. God didn't go someplace. He's still around us. He's still dealing in the affairs of men. He's still working in your situations. God still has a, a plan in effect for your life. He's still working that thing out. We shall reap, it says. We shall reap. That's the positive term. Don't get negative in times like that. You see, the harvest formula is still in effect. That little seed is still in the ground and it's germinating and the warmth and the security and the presence of that dirt around it is working its work in that seed. It's, it's doing what a seed ought to be doing. It's dying so that it can come back to life again. I never, I never cease to marvel 
When I look at the seed, when it's just starting to pop open, and I see that first little bud shooting through the top of the thing, it never ceases to amaze me. You see, that harvest formula is still in effect. God is still sending his rain in due season. It may not look like it. How sad it would be if a farmer had rain all the time on his crop. How sad it would be if he had sun all the time on his crop. God send those things in due season. You start out with rain so you can prepare the ground and, and to water the seed. And then you want a farmer wants sunshine. Good old hot sunshine. And at a certain time, he wants some more rain to, to, to really give it a little jump start into that harvest season. So, so what, what are we looking at here spiritually? There's times when rain comes into your life when God is preparing your ground for seed. There's times when everything looks like it's going well and rain comes into your life. Hey, that's just when in the spirit God is ready to jump start a supernatural miracle in your life. Hallelujah. You see, that harvest formula is working. And there's, there's three things I saw in the scripture that we need to look at, that we need to be conscious of between the tribulation of the planting and the reaping time. They're well-doing or doing well, if you will. And there's weariness and there's a time of waiting. Well-doing and weariness and waiting in the well-doing part. This, this means that there's, there's a value and there's a virtuousness that we have to be considered in this. There's an appearance that we have to keep up. What does the word say about when you fast? Word says you don't walk around like the Pharisees did with all down in the mouth. Letting somebody see how consecrated to God you are. No, it says you keep those things inside. You put a smile on your face. You wash your face, you comb your hair. There's an appearance that goes along with well-doing. And doing means that you hang in there. You abide in these things while it's working out. And you're causing it to happen. We're involved in, in our lives. We are not, as Christians, victims of circumstance. We are not a, a feather to the will of the wisp of the, of the wind that blows by us. We are grounded and we are founded and we are planted in the Word of God. And we, we may sway a little bit, but we're not to break and we're not to blow away. Well-doing. This thought in here is when the opportunity comes, I'll spring to, to take advantage of the opportunity. Spring to it. You, see, you know, the thought of, of doing wearies some people. <laughs> I heard it said, if you want something done, give it to a busy man. I like that. The thought of work wearies a lot of people. They'll, they'll do the job so many times in their mind, they won't have strength to do it when the physical job comes along. <laughs> have you ever heard people say, I've thought about it, it just won't work. We never did it that way here in our church. <laughs> well, it didn't work in the past and it won't work now. Hey, if we're hearing God, anything we put our efforts to will work. 
And if we're not hearing God, we can have all the funds and all the people and all the programs and nothing will work. You can have all the money in your life and if God's not there before very long, a person will be a pauper again. Lottery never brought peace to the first person's mind. Winning a lottery. Never brought peace, never brought prosperity to the first person's mind. Because prosperity is more than dollars in the bank. Well-doing we're talking about. You see, correct order is well-doing before I start feeling weariness. <laughs> I'm supposed to work before I get tired. Not get tired before I, before I do anything. You see, the contrast that's given in this scripture is that, that in our, in our doing well, we're busy restoring those Christians who have fallen, not, not heaping more problems upon them. How many of, uh, of these named people that, that we see on TV who've fallen in the last few years, how much time has you, have you as an individual, how much time has the body of Christ been on their knees praying for that brother or sister's soul. Instead of heaping more condemnation, instead of giving more latitude to the demonic forces to attack them. The contrast is, is bearing one another's burdens. You, know, you, you can't tell. You can't tell looking at a brother and sister in a sanctuary environment what they're going through. You see, we're masters at putting on the facade. We are masters at putting on the mask. Of smiling through our tears. And I think to a, to a degree that's wrong. Now you can't bear your soul to just everybody. If you do, you'll find a lot of knives in your back. But we need to find, search out brothers and sisters in Christ who can bear our burdens with us, that we can trust to pray the prayer of faith and pray for us and to fast for us and to hunger for us and to give us wise counsel. Bearing one another's burdens, sharing our physical goods with somebody. How guilty is the body of Christ of locking their doors and checking their cupboards and it's all nice and full and just next door down the street somebody doesn't have a coat and they don't have a pair of shoes or they don't have a meal to eat. How guilty are we of that? Jesus said, if you've done it unto the least of one of these, you've done it unto me. And it says, doing good to all men is in this well-doing, not to just those that we like, all men. That's what I was talking about a while ago when we come out for visitation sometime. We put on our Christian little smile and we go out knocking on doors. Then we get back in our car and if somebody does something wrong to us on the expressway, man, we're shaking the fist and we're blowing horns. And What a testimony. What a testimony. I don't know but what is good. I never had thought of this until a while back. I, I think it may be good for Christians to put some kind of a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says that I'm a Christian. That way, it'll kind of at least give you a check, you know? At least back right in bad situations. I've got a sticker on the back of my car that says, Pastor. 
And I've had to pray for forgiveness a few times. Lord, don't let that thing that happened wound that person. You get tired when you do the things of God. And if we expect that, then we won't be overcome in well-doing. And then the weariness, this weariness that they're talking about here, it's not even lending itself to a physical weariness, but it's talking about losing courage. Losing courage in your life. Peter lost courage when, when he came out of, the, out of that upper room where he was part of an elite group. And a few hours later, he was in the, in the deep, deepest bowels of despair because he had denied Christ. Weariness. Mental and spiritual fainting we're talking about. Don't faint. Don't faint when your mind can't accept the challenge before you. Too many times we want to see the challenge completely worked out before we ever commit to a thing. Can I tell you that if that were true, nobody would ever get married. <laughs> nobody would ever have children. Nobody would buy homes. Nobody especially wouldn't work in the body of Christ. Because most of the time, you can't, you can't know somebody or you can't know how a thing is going to work until you get involved. People who come to church for an hour or two a week will never know the personality of the pastor. They'll never know the personality. You know a church has a personality. Every church in the world has its own distinct personality. And if the only time a person is there is just on Sunday morning, you will never know the pastor. You will never know the leadership. You will never know the inner workings and how that church flows together. Because you see, a church operates like a family. A lot of times we don't like everybody in our family, but we always love them. And after the smoke clears, we're still a family. Bible doesn't say we have to agree on everything. You have your right to, to be able to appreciate something the same as I do. But the other side is I have my right to appreciate something the same thing you do. You see, we, we're working out this thing together. But the thing about it is, if I'm in love with you and you're in love with me, we can come together and we can formulate something and the Holy Spirit will always be there leading us into truth and I can make concessions and you can make concessions. And for the, for the common good, the body of Christ. We get weary in the spirit when we start relaxing our spiritual grip. Start relaxing our spiritual grip. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm glad I put it in the message then. I need to teach it. I'm talking about relax. In weariness, don't relax your spiritual grip. Don't give an inch to Satan. Don't, don't make allowances for your flesh. Don't allow the fact that you always have a rotten personality. And people are supposed to understand that. Don't make allowances that you always act too, too impromptuly. God says we're to, to do a certain amount of planning. Don't give Satan in the spiritual area uh, and even an inch, start out with the Word of God binding and putting constrictions upon Him so that you can live a full life, so that the things of your, of your storehouse and of your life and sickness will be kept away. Your storehouses will be full. 
things will, will work out that you put your hands to. I hear a lot of Christians say, nothing ever works for me. If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. <laughs> Man, that's sad, isn't it? And that's an antithesis for everything that the Bible says we are. Hallelujah. God's got promises that we can, we're not to give Satan an inch. We are not to relax, relax our grip. We're to hang in there, church. Hang in there. Keep that spiritual pressure on Satan. Keep that, keep that pressure on God. Whoops. Whoa. Keeping pressure on God, that's right. God likes to hear his word quoted to him. God likes to know what you understand him to be. Is he just your spiritual Santa Claus? Is he somebody that sits up there with a whip and every time he's just waiting for you to do something so he can reach over and just flick you one good time? Is that what God is to, to a lot of people? Or is he our heavenly father, creator of all whose desires in all ways that we abound in all good things? Ooh, glory. I, I'll take the, the latter over the former. How about you? Sometimes weariness comes with lack of results. We do it for a while and it doesn't work. How many, how many times have I heard about people who tried the faith movement, the confession, name it and claim it movement. They tried it for about an hour or so and it didn't work and they went away brooding and bleeding and wondering and, and confused. I was talking to a, a lady not too long ago. She's not even in this city. And she, I, I didn't get her story, but I almost know it. I almost know it. She came into the charismatic movement because she heard a couple of cassette tapes. And she tried this thing for a while, and it didn't work, and she became angry at not only at the Word of God and at God, but she became angry at people. Now she's angry at the body of Christ, and she's in contention every place she goes. And she's a walking bomb waiting, waiting to explode with anybody who won't act exactly like she wants them to. Because the thing didn't work out and she became weary with the lack of results. You see, there are teachers who teach for a long time and they don't see anything happen and they, and they, they, and they're students and they become weary. There are preachers who preach and don't see much happen and they get weary. Preachers get weary in, in that you betcha. You see, preachers have to provide they have to set the table as though they were going to preach to thousands of people, even if they have two people here or there. The table has to be set. And if you're not careful, if you get into the flesh as a young pastor, you'll start looking at your preaching and say it's not producing anything, and you'll get weary. You'll get weary. You're losing the sight of what God said this thing is about. If you're laboring in the church and you labor and you labor and nobody says, boy, you're doing a good job, brother. 
Oh, you're doing a wonderful job, sister. Hang in there. Keep it up. Nobody says that. And you get weary because you're not appreciated. Hey, who are we working toward, ourselves or God? Who are we working for? Now, I do believe this. I believe in appreciating people's efforts. And I try to do that as a pastor. I try to let people know that they're a blessing to me and a blessing to this church and let them and encourage them. I think the Bible clearly says that in, in, in the Word of God that we are to express openly and publicly not to puff up the person, but those who are blessing. They're worthy of double honor. Double honor. You see, there's some people who have given it all to God. They're not a 50%. They're not a 75%. They're not a 99%. They are 100% sold out to God. God doesn't ask that from everybody in, in the ministry situation. In fact, is most of the time, if we, if we kind of look at the word in general terms, he gives you about 90% of your time to do whatever you want to with. But he says 10% of it, thereabouts, belongs to me. And above that, you have offerings that you can make of your time. But don't get weary when you don't see the product there. In your weariness, don't, don't become cast down. Paul, what a classic example of a person who could have become weary. If he had allowed him to, but yet you read his epistles, two-thirds of the New Testament written by this man, and you read positive statements, and you read statements where he overcame physical and mental and even spiritual low times. He said, they've all departed from me. He could equate with Jesus, but yet he could say, he told the Corinthians, I'm abounding in the work of God. I'm abounding, I'm abundant, I have abundance, I'm producing, there's crops coming to my life because I'm doing the work of God. He in the book of Acts it says, a conscience void of offenses. He had a conscience that was void of offenses. Didn't even think about retaliation. He, had a, he told the Corinthians, he says, I've got a, I've got a spirit of rejoicing in me. It's tough sometimes to rejoice in hard times. Can you say amen? The Bible says we're to do it. Paul says, I, I don't care what looked in my life. I, I maintain my confidence. My confidence. He says, I was a man of prayer. He says, he says I pray more than you all. Pray more than you all. That's a tough blanket statement, isn't it? That's tough. Especially when he was associating with some pretty good praying people. He told the Ephesians, things have been tough. They've been tough for me, but I'm continually giving thanks to God in all things. In all things. And then he says, I have having all sufficiency. I have all things. Did you get that? Having sufficiency. All sufficiency. Having all sufficiency. I have all things. Does that mean that he had a yacht? <laughs> Did Paul have the latest 250 horsepower camel? No, I didn't mean that. It means his mind had been renewed. Any of this sinking home this morning? 
church. <laughs> Hanging in there, I'm talking about. Hanging in there when things, what we're talking about is, is communication this morning. When things get tough, there was a story about a guy who used to give out tracts on the street corner. And he became weary in well-doing. Became weary in well-doing. And gave it up. For, and a couple of years later, he passed by this street corner. Hadn't thought about it for a while because he hadn't seen any results. Passed by the street corner, and here was a guy giving out tracts on the same corner that he used to be on. So he struck up a conversation with him. And the guy says, yeah, I says, I remember you. He says, you're the reason I'm here. He says, so you used to be on this corner every week giving out tracts. He says, I was one of those who was, who was walking by here. I was a drunk. I was falling down in the gutter. My life was a shambles. And you gave me one of those tracts. And I started reading it. And the Spirit of God touched me. And I believed it. And I moved out upon it. It says, now I'm a Christian. He says, I came back to the corner. But you weren't here. So I decided I'd take over your work. I'd take over your work. You see, we don't all the time need initiative. A lot of times, we need initiative. Finish the thing. A lot of people start out with initiative. It's not hard to get a church pumped up into a program for the first night. The second night, most churches will have about 50% there. <laughs> the third night, you may have about 25%. And you'll probably end up with about 10% of committed people because 10% of the people in a church do 90% of the work. And if you don't believe that, if you're studying for the ministry, or if you've been around the church for a while, you can't accept it, sit it on the shelf, like they say, until you've got a little more understanding and you'll find out what I've told you is true. It's not hard to be excited in the sanctuary. It's a little more difficult to be excited when it's 7 o'clock at night and you've already had a 10-hour day and you're supposed to be at the church at 7.30 to go out on visitation till about 9 o'clock. We need initiative. You see, God blesses us as we plan and as we serve and as we commit. God doesn't bless Our results. Well, let me, let me change that around because he does do that. But God doesn't bless us because of our results. Okay? You get the difference? God doesn't bless you because you get X amount of people into the body of Christ. He doesn't bless you because you do X amount of things for things' sake. He does bless us for the time we put involved in planning and the time we put involved in, in serving and the time that we put involved in commitment, not for the product. You see, the product is the business of the Holy Spirit. All I'm, all I'm responsible for in this church is for setting the table and giving opportunities and praying 
keeping the spirits bound off of this place, as we were talking about a while ago, so the Word of God can produce a finished product. What's the goal of any church? To have the last pew filled and then lock the doors and say, we've got our quarter, we don't need any more. And some churches, God forgive us, not us, but them, are satisfied with the 20 families that they have and they don't want anybody else. These, these are some hard sayings this morning. Okay? And then there's the waiting time. The waiting time. There was a story about a dying soldier who asked the chaplain to send a, a little message to his old Sunday school teacher. He says, I want you to tell her in the message that I'm dying today a Christian because of what she taught me years ago as a lad. All those years it took to work out in my life, but I'm dying today on this battlefield, but I'm a Christian because of her teaching. And the chaplain sent the letter, and before long he got a message back, a reply to it. And the woman said, God forgive me. I taught for so long and I saw no results. And just last month I resigned my teaching position, deciding I would never teach again. But she says, after receiving this letter, I've repented. And I'm going back to my pastor and say, please, please, please let me have another class. Talking about waiting. There's a time of waiting. Christians can learn a lesson from the farmer. The farmer prepares the ground. He plants the right kind of seed for the crop that he wants to, to grow there. And then he prays for the right conditions, the sun, the right amount of sun, and the right combination of rain upon that. And then he waits. He doesn't go out there and dig up that little seed about every other day to see how it's doing. And then when the weeds start growing up after it's been a while in the ground and those weeds start springing up, he goes out there and he labors for the faith that he's going to see and he chops away and, and rakes away all that which would sap the strength away from that little shoot when it comes up. You see, it doesn't need much nourishment when it's in seed form. But when it grows up a little bit and starts breaking through the ground, and then those tentacles of its arms start reaching out underneath the, underneath the ground, that's when it needs to draw a source of strength. But if that strength has been eaten away, it's not there, and the thing becomes emaciated and becomes demented and it becomes perverted looking. And he cultivates around that. Leaders of churches. People's in the pew who God's got to give it an intercessor's, intercessor's heart. I'm talking about hitting your knees at 2 and 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning when the Spirit of God says, get up and pray. Instead of stay. It's easy to stay in that warm bed underneath those covers because that floor is cold. You don't know how long you're going to be there. Commitment, you see. Cultivation, keeping that thing away from another little tender shoot over here in the spirit someplace. 
But then there comes the time of reaping and the time of harvest. And it's time for joy. And it's time for gladness in the sight. Uh, there's a joy in a, in a pastor's heart. And there's a joy in the rest of the church when you see your pews start filling up with people who are worshiping and praising and growing in God. And there's a time of reaping then when it's ripe. But you don't eat your seeds for the next harvest. You keep the seeds laid by for the next planting. You see, when you're saving those seeds, you're not looking at the planting time. A, a, a farmer never looks with his seed for the next year at the planting time. He's looking at the harvest time. You see, the, the planting time is where the work is. Planting times and cultivation times are not the fun times. The harvest time is the fun time. The rest of it we just have to tolerate. I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. There's a story about missionaries who go to the field. And they labor and few people respond to their, to their missionary efforts. And they get discouraged and they go back home. And then the Spirit of God starts dwelling with them. And they say, I called you to be a missionary. And so they go back to the mission field, to the same place, committed to put up with the same thing. But this time, they reap a glorious harvest because of the seeds that were first sown on their first missionary journey. Or the missionary who works in a hard area for years and years and years, and they don't see one convert to God, seemingly. And he dies and goes to his heavenly reward. And another missionary goes in and experiences an immediate explosion of converts. Sometimes they think, my, isn't this place wonderful because they got me. And all they're doing is reaping what somebody else had, had, had prepared the ground and sowed and watered and cultivated and prayed over and hurt, hurt for for years and years. Reaping the benefits of that first person's labor. And as scripture says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall also reap. If a farmer sows corn seed, he doesn't expect radishes. If we sow to the flesh... We'll reap of the flesh, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap things of life, things of life. Would you stand with me? Hanging in there. Don't being weary. Don't being weary in well-doing. Don't get weary in your weariness. And there's always a time of waiting as God is working out in our lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you glory and we praise you for this word today. We praise you for the songs that prepared the heart to receive the engrafted seed of the word of God. And we praise you for the presence of the precious Holy Spirit that's been dealing with hearts. To one, he's been dealing with complacency. To another, he's been dealing with love manifest in that life or the need for it in a greater dimension. To one, he's been dealing with 
just believing what God has promised in spite of what the circumstances look like. So, Father, I'm asking you now to build a resolve and a commitment within your people. And by the Holy Spirit, give us unction and enable us to move out upon that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.